Do you want to see the tax collectors and the Gentiles converted? Yes. Do you think you'll ever see sinners converted if you're mean-spirited, if you're snarky towards them, if you try to make them feel small? Of course not. And so Jesus isn't saying, in that statement, if you just read it, it kind of, you know, your flesh will be like, ah, just, you know, now I get to shun them. No, that's not what it's saying at all. But we see that there is this expectation among the church that we are holding one another accountable that we are guarding our mouth, that we are speaking evil of no one, and that when we see something that needs addressed, we're concerned enough, we actually want to keep it a secret as much as possible. I'm going to go alone first. And maybe we can just work it out between the two of us. Nobody else on the planet ever has to know about it. That's the right spirit of brotherly love. There may be no sin more frequently committed among Christians than the sin of not guarding our mouths. In today's message, Pastor Joplin Emerson pleads with the church to examine the damage that comes when we speak too freely and use our tongues to cut down others. Concerning how we talk about the people we have problems with, the Lord Jesus gave us clear instructions on how to speak and when to speak. Listen in now as Pastor Joplin preaches, Speak No Evil. In this passage of scripture, Paul is um, really teaching or writing to Titus about leading the church, about being a pastor, about being an elder, and he's telling him to declare certain things to the body of Christ kind of as a general principle or a general rule. In other words, Titus, as the years progress and you preach to God's people, these are the things that you need to be preaching. And this morning, I want us to focus on one statement that just uh, really ate my lunch this week. I mean, this I've had a difficult week preparing for this message because it's really caused Joplin Emerson to look myself in the mirror and do some own soul-searching in my own life. And so I want us to look at this passage this morning in verse 2, these simple words to speak evil of no one. This is a command. It's as clear of a command as you shall not murder, period. There's no confusion about what it means, how might you interpret this. It is a simple, short, and clearly understood statement. Speak evil of no one. Brothers and sisters, I am absolutely convinced that this may be one of the greatest sins of the church. Who among Christians regards this command? How few there are that truly understand it, that obey it. First thing I want to do is define what is evil speaking. What is it? The word is most often translated blaspheme. And what it means literally is to defame another person, to destroy someone else's character with the words that you speak. And so, like blaspheming God 
is saying something that would defame his character. To blaspheme another person is to say something that would ruin their character. And so we're told to do this to no one. Blaspheming someone or defaming somebody, this isn't just saying don't lie about someone. In fact, everything that you say might be true, but you are still defaming another person's character. After you speak the words you speak, the hearers think less of the person of whom you've spoke. You have spoken evil of someone. You have broken the clear command of Scripture to speak evil of no one. Now, I am truly convinced that we have allowed such a small thing to become a huge problem in the body of Christ. I've noticed in my own life that it kind of goes unnoticed. Not intentional. It's not as if we start out with the purpose of defaming a person's character. After all, what we're saying might very well be true. Sometimes it's hidden in the context of, let's just talk about this person and share our concerns. And sometimes we've even convinced our own hearts that that's what we're doing. And we become unconscious that actually we are sinning against God, breaking the commands of God, and that we are defaming another person's character. This is a serious business. Evil speaking is quite simply speaking evil of an absent person. Telling something about a person that is negative when that person is not even there to defend themselves. It is properly called backbiting. It's a great term for it. It's when we're behind somebody's back and we are chewing them up. Another place in Proverbs refers to this statement as tail-bearing. It it comes along with the um, idea of whispering. It says basically that the words of a tail-bearer or someone that reveals secrets, that their words are kind of like tasty morsels that go deep into into the stomach. That there's a, and here's, here's the truth. It teaches that all of us kind of like to hear the dirt. Especially when it's in the context of whispering behind somebody's back. And we want to hear. We want to know what we didn't know. We want to know the truth. And the idea is that we take it in and it's kind of sweet and it goes deep inside of us and now it's inside. Proverbs teaches us that the words of a talebearer, they're dangerous. And so this whole speaking evil of someone, it can take on many forms. It very well might outright be an outburst of anger where you are saying hurtful things about somebody and the intent, you are conscious, you are trying to bring a person down in the eyes of others. You're sinning. It very well might be that you've been kind of drawn into a conversation or maybe you are the drawer of the conversation where 
it's sort of couched in these terms of care and concern and prayer requests. But what you have become is a whisperer, a talebearer. My guess is that most of us, or if you are like me, when I really started digging into this message, there was, there was this, what have I been doing moment that I have not put a guard over my mouth like I thought I had. This is something that I believe that we are all guilty of, and at the very least, guilty of hearing, guilty of being pulled into conversations where we are hearing evil speaking. It is such a common sin. I want you to think about how extremely common this sin is. I mean, how few people can truly testify before God, I am innocent in this manner. Even among people who truly fear God. Even among people who sincerely desire to be in right standing with God and are concerned about our standing with God, we, those that find themselves in that true statement, we really care about being righteous before God, even we find ourselves lacking in having the right guards in our life and the guard over our mouth and the guard over our ears so that we may not be found guilty of speaking evil of anyone. It's a difficult sin to avoid because it is so frequent. On one hand, it is incredibly frequent. It is as if it's coming from all directions. On the other hand, there's actually this instinct within to want to defame someone. You will find that when you are angry, when you have been done wrong, when you are wounded, when somebody doesn't act the way you think they should, when someone has mistreated you, when you are mad, there is a certain satisfaction your flesh gets when you make the decision to begin speaking evil of people. It's sort of your way of fighting back without actually having to face the person. It's your way of causing harm and destruction without having to have the integrity of just going and talking to them face to face. No wonder this is such a hard sin to really handle like we need to. I want to say it one last time though. This is a command. It is a clear command. Speak evil of no one. That includes evil people. This is a hard concept to wrap our minds around this morning. No one is no one. It didn't just say speak evil of not each other, as in the church. But to speak evil of no one. There's a certain degree of absolute trust for the Christian to ever begin to really walk this path. We have to trust that God will take care of matters. We have to trust in uh, uh, 
Romans chapter 12 where it says, don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. And remember that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You know, there's a part of us that thinks, but if I don't warn the world of evil people, if I don't tell you the truth about this person's sins and that person's sins, you're going to be, you know, you're not going to know the truth about them. And so I'm just, you know, I'm just this person out on a conquest to help everybody. Christian, you better trust the word of God. And you better never think that somehow, some way, you can accomplish the work of God by choosing to sin. And so it don't always make sense. But you better speak evil of no one. Now, how do we do this? I think every one of us right now are thinking, wow, I've been caught in this in some degree or another. There's some things I wish I could just hit the rewind button on real quick and not say. How do we do, how do we live, how do we walk in such a way that we speak evil of no one? Our Lord, Jesus Christ, teaches us how. He lays down a perfect method of avoiding the offense of speaking evil. And I want us to look at it. Matthew chapter 18 this morning, as we see the answer to this big problem. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church... Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. From our text, I want to share with you five rules to keep us from speaking evil of anyone. Number one, the first step is always and only between you and that person alone. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And the most literal way of following this rule is the best. Go to this person alone. Now, I also want you to note that it says if your brother sins against you. So this is a matter of sin. This is a matter of something that is done wrong in the sight of God. We don't have any business quarreling over and approaching people over, you know, personal dislikes about personality traits or this thing or that thing. Or It's about sin. And when something has been done wrong where I've witnessed with my own eyes or I've heard with my own ears, and I know that something is wrong with a brother or a sister, it is my responsibility to go to them 
first and speak to them alone. That's the first step. And it needs to be noted that our Lord Jesus gives no other steps. Notice that it is a command. It's actually a command. And there are no steps before. Not talk to your friends about it first and see if they think you should approach him. Not secretly post or or, uh, insinuate on Facebook how you feel about somebody that's made you feel bad just leaving their name out. If you don't go and talk to the person first before anything else, you're sinning against God. Now Jesus has given us the way. You want to know how to keep your mouth from speaking evil of anyone? Do it the Lord's way. Now let's talk a little bit about how do you approach somebody. The second rule this morning is to speak only in a spirit of true Christian love. So if you're going to go and, and, and you are truly burdened to the point that I need to talk to this person, you must go in the right spirit, in the right manner. The success of your conversation greatly depends on the spirit in which you go. And so before you actually take that step of, once you've made up your mind, I'm going to talk to this person, it is time to get serious about making sure your heart is in the right attitude. You need to go in the spirit of love. You need to be able to make sure that when you walk in, when you show up, that there is nothing that even smells or has a hint of pride, anger, self-justification, self-righteousness. You're there to get your vengeance. You're there to speak your mind. If there is a hint of that, you're not ready to go yet. So the real reason that we would want to approach somebody in, in, in the context of True biblical Christianity, the real reason we would want to approach somebody is to help them. So I must ask myself, is my motive truly helping a situation? Do I really want to see this person restored or whatever they've done corrected? Am I I really trying to make sure that they don't continue down a path and keep tripping up and keep wounding themselves and wounding others? Am I really trying to help here, or am I just trying to give somebody a piece of my mind? Because Jesus said, if they've done me wrong, I better go tell them. If that's the attitude you go in, you're going to get nowhere. And so you need to make sure that whatever you speak, you speak in the attitude and in the true spirit of Christian love. How are some ways you can do that? Number one, pray. You must be sincere in taking time to pray. Number one, God help me to have the right heart about this. God, let's make sure this isn't about me. Because I remember, Lord, vengeance is yours. If there's anything I want to overcome, help me to overcome it with good. So God, first thing I'm praying about, I'm praying about me. Me. 
And now, Lord, I'm praying for my brother and my sister. God, I love them, but I could never love them as much as you do. And, and what I know, because I saw it with my own eyes, God, I heard it with my own ears. It wasn't good. And I care too much about my brother. I care too much about my sister to allow them to continue this because it's destructive. And, and so, God, I pray that you would now begin to soften their heart. I pray that you would really show them already what I believe you're calling me to go and share. And I pray that when I show up, it's nothing more than a confirmation of what you've already been speaking to their heart. So, before going, these are some ways to keep your heart in the right attitude. Pray. Number two, be humble. Remember, but for the grace of God, so go I. Remember that it might not be long before one of your Christian brothers or sisters needs to have a similar conversation with you. How would you want them to approach? How would you want them to handle the matter? Remember that all of us are sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. And it was the grace of God that saved us. It's the grace of God that's keeping us. And so I'm not going in a spirit of self-elevated righteousness, but in a true spirit of humility. You need to pray. You need to be humble. And you need to speak in love. You need to go in the spirit of the gospel, which is the good news. That's what the gospel is. It is the good news that despite all of our imperfections and despite our sins, despite our weaknesses, despite all that we are not, our God is good. And He is faithful. And He loves us. And he has made a way of escape. Yes. And so I want to go in that spirit of love and that spirit of humility. I want to pray before I go. I want to go with the mindset of the gospel. It's good news that I'm really trying to bring. If you don't know what the good news is on the backside of your conversation, you're probably not ready to go yet. If all that you can see is the negative and you're just showing up to make sure they know how wrong they are and you can't see how the gospel applies to their situation, you need to pray for God to give you some wisdom to be able to communicate the gospel, to communicate the good news, to communicate, if you will, the answer to the problem, the solution to that which you are trying to bring up. It must be understand, understood that this step is absolutely commanded by God and it is commanded before any others. There is no alternative. Nothing else is allowed. There is no other choice. Now, don't think that you can excuse yourself and going to someone else by saying, well, I was so burdened. I just couldn't keep it in anymore. You probably were burdened. That's what happens when we're dealing with sin in our own life. 
You have neglected God's own command to go and talk to your brother or your sister. You better believe you're burdened. And now you're going to double sin and open your mouth and speak evil of somebody and make others think evil of this person? You will find that the burden does not leave. Your flesh will feel good now that others share in your hatred or anger for this situation, but the burden will not leave. You want the burden of your soul to leave? You got to do it God's way. And so then the question is, but what happens if I do this and they don't respond? You know, most people, that's why they don't do it. Because you already know better than God and you know they're not going to respond. What if they don't? Now here's the truth. Many times they won't. Many times you will not get the response that you hoped for. But make no mistake about it, you don't get a choice in the matter. God said, this is the way and the only way. And if they don't get the blessing of turning back to the right path, if you will, if they don't get the blessing of heeding your word, receiving your love, and truly taking your correction, you at the very least will get the blessing of knowing you did it God's way. And you will find that burden that was vexing your soul. It's just, whew, it's lifted. Jesus tells us that this is very likely that it might happen, and therefore He gives us the next step. Before getting to this next step of talking with two or three others, one or two others, excuse me, I want to ask, is there an exception to the rule? And I I do think that biblically, when we take the Bible as a whole, there may be a very few exceptions. I'm going to give you an example. If you know something of a person, and that person is going to harm someone else, it is your responsibility to protect the innocent. If I know for a fact that, you know, John Doe has a plan to kill somebody, um, I don't necessarily have to take the time to see if I can set up a meeting with John Doe and talk to him about it first before I warn the innocent person who might be killed. This is a really extreme example. but The Bible teaches us that we are to protect the innocent. It's part of the very nature of God. Um, as I was discussing this message with my wife this week, she said, hey, what happens, you know, are there, have I been speaking evil in this situation? And the, the question was one of uh, sometimes we have, you know, people that come and request help here at the church. And it doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen sometimes that the person will, you know, tell her one thing and then tell someone else something entirely different. And they've got two different stories or three, you know, this person's had three or four different stories. And those that are responsible for handling the funds of God are discussing, you know, what they've heard. And she said, well, were we speaking evil of that person? And here's here's kind of the answer, yes. Yes. In fact, if I know that you're going to murder somebody and I go tell the person that's about to die, I'm still speaking evil of the person. I am sharing information that defames the character. 
There are rare times, though, that it is necessary to preserve the life of the innocent. And there are times when it is needful for us to make proper decisions. And, and here's, the, here's the different the, the scenario with, uh, you know, helping that person that I'm talking about. Um, the person specifically requested help. The person came in and said, I am asking for something, and here's the information. Well, now the people are responsible to discuss the information that was given. This is a lot different than, you know, me taking old brother Jason Garraway out to lunch and us just sitting around and talking negative stuff about people. Totally different situation. And so, are there rare exceptions? Yes. The, the simple and easiest uh, individual rule to follow is if you truly, truly, truly believe that it is absolutely necessary to protect the innocent. But I think we would be honest this morning if we say 95% of the evil speaking that goes on has nothing to do with that. It's just gossip. It's just negative talk. And Jesus said there's no place for it. If you've got a problem that's big enough to you, you need to go talk to the person alone. Well, what if they don't listen? Jesus lays down the next principle, our third point this morning, is that the second step is to bring one or two more. Notice in Matthew 18 these words, take with you one or two more. Not tell one or two more. Obviously, it insinuates you'd have to tell them in order for them to know what it was about. But we see the motive. The purpose in sharing the information was not to just share the information. It wasn't like, well, I went and talked to him, he didn't listen, so now I'm telling the whole world. No. We still see that the true concern, the motive of the heart, is to turn the brother around. And so it's not just go tell people now that you finally did the first step. No, you, there, you have no business telling anybody else after step one unless you're actually going to tell that one or two other people with the intention of, would you come with me to go see if maybe you could say this in a way that I didn't? Now, Jesus actually even adds a little bit more clarification when he says so that, you know, a charge may be established in, in, you know, with, the, with one or two witnesses. It teaches us a couple of things. Number one, that whoever you're going to actually needs to have some degree of understanding of the situation, if at all possible. And when you go to these um, one or two others, they need to have the same Christian spirit of love. And I would argue that it's always recommended to try to find someone that the accused has a good view of. But I don't want to go grab my group of people that's against this person and we're all going to come in as a posse. No, I'm looking to find somebody that I know this other person really respects. And... I'm going to go to these people, and why I want somebody like that, there's a couple of reasons. Obviously, it would be better received when we go back. But even more importantly, if I know that these people have a good relationship, it should mean that maybe they have some perspective I don't. 
that, that maybe when I go and talk to them, maybe they end up telling me, you know what, uh, he or she was right. You're really making a bigger deal here than you need to. I, I, don't, I don't think we need to go approach him. I, I, I think you're the one that's wrong. And I need to be willing to hear that. You know what else you'll find? Is that if you do go to the person first before you talk to anybody else, sometimes you get some perspective you didn't know. Sometimes you find out you didn't know everything about the person's life like you thought you did. And that when they had the ability to kind of explain, at the very least, it helped provide some additional compassion and, and some insight on your part where maybe you're thinking, you know what, I don't need to go tell a bunch of people about this just yet. I don't need to go get somebody else. But the second step is to get one or two others and to bring them and I want you to notice, once again, this is the only second step. There is nothing in between. There is no other method. This is the only acceptable rule allowed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Number four, the third step is to tell it to the elders. Now, in the... Uh, the way that it's worded in Matthew 18, Jesus says, tell it to the church. And then if the church goes and, and says something about it and he doesn't listen, then um, it brings us to the next step. But Jesus could not possibly mean, you know, get on a megaphone and tell it to the whole church. Uh, that wouldn't be possible. It wouldn't make sense. It certainly, as any uh, clear person could see, it wouldn't help matters at all. That's not what he's talking about. But to those who rule the church, to the elders who are responsible, as the Bible says, who give an account for the souls that they are over. I think it's worth noting that at sometimes the elders could play the role of that one or two other. They don't always have to. They don't always need to. I think if it is a scenario in which the elders know the situation well, it would be wisest that we just do the one or two with the elders. But I think that that second step that the Lord gives us of going with one or two others does allow for friends and people of the close Christian community to, to try to handle as much as this as possible without always going to the elders and trying to have the elders um, you know, handle a situation. Jesus says in the end, if that's what it comes to, then, then let it be done with, by the elders. And in this scenario, he says, so what happens if even the elders don't get anywhere with this person? In such a scenario, I want you to imagine that it was done correctly. I just want you to imagine that when, when the person went at first, they truly went in love. I mean, they prayed. They showed up humble. They had compassion, humility. And they truly shared their heart. And the person on the other side hearing these things basically said, no, I'm not buying any of it. No way. I haven't done anything wrong. Get out of here. Well, that brother leaves and goes and 
talks with a few people that are favorable to this other person, and they all agree, you know what, yeah, there, there is a problem, and we've, we've seen it, we agree it, we're witnesses to it. We'll go talk with you, we'll, we'll go with you, we'll go, we'll go approach them one more time. And so they go, and they, they do the same thing in love, compassion, and now there's two or three witnesses that say, hey, this is happening. And the person says, no, you're all wrong. And then they go and they get the elders and they tell the elders, like, this is going on. And the elders say, okay, we trust you, we trust you, we trust you, we know you, we know your character. We believe that a charge is established in the presence of two or three witnesses. We'll go. We'll talk to them about it. So then the elders go and the elders talk. And the person says a third time, no, I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what he says. I don't care what they say. I don't care what you say. I think in such a scenario, it's pretty easy to um, argue that this person has clearly got a hard heart, unwilling to listen to anybody, and that more than likely the accusation is probably incredibly true. And in that state, when there is absolutely no willingness to change, Jesus lays down the final principle, and that is to end the brotherly relationship. The final step is to end the brotherly relationship. He says, if he'll not hear the church, if he chooses to persist in his sin, let him be to you as a, you know, a Gentile or a tax collector. Now, I want to explain what that means. Because we are to love everybody. Jesus is not saying once that's happened, now you're free to hate them. That's not what he's saying at all. He's just saying now that that's happened, you're really no res- you're not responsible any for any longer to be treating them the same way you would a Christian brother or sister. And so, do you want to see the tax collectors and the Gentiles converted? Yes. Do you think you'll ever see sinners converted if you're mean-spirited, if you're snarky towards them, if you try to make them feel small? Of course not. And so Jesus isn't saying, in that statement, if you just read it, it kind of, you know, your flesh will be like, ah, just, you know, now I get to shun him. No, that's not what it's saying at all. But we see that there is this expectation among the church that we are holding one another accountable, that we are guarding our mouth, that we are speaking evil of no one, and that when we see something that needs addressed, we're concerned enough, we actually want to keep it a secret as much as possible. I'm going to go alone first. And maybe we can just work it out between the two of us and nobody else on the planet ever has to know about it. That's the right spirit of brotherly love. And if that don't work, I still don't want the whole world to know. I'm just going to find one other, maybe two at the most. And let's see if I can get somebody that's really favorable here to this person and let's, let's deal with it this way. And if that doesn't work, the elders... And if that doesn't work, you know what? I'm I'm free of my brotherly relationship with this person. I don't have to keep pursuing them as if they're family. But that does not give me a right to quit loving them. And if anything, let's just say that this happens, and, and now I still am in a church with this particular person, the best way that I can eventually turn that person around, trust me, it's not by shunning them. The best way that I can turn that person around after they've known, we've tried this thing three times, is by being more loving, 
incredibly kind, showing them respect, being to them as Christ is to them. I just know I no longer have, I mean, I'm not going to go to every tax collector and, and uh, you know, sinner in the world every time I see him do something wrong and pull him off to the side and tell him, am I? Of course not. Once I get in an argument with them, I'm not going to get a couple more of my Christian brothers, and now I'm going to come and let them know. Of course not. And what Jesus is saying is that once you've done these steps, from now on, the way that you need to handle it is just you know, treat them like you would anyone else in the world, but don't have this brotherly expectation. You've done it. You've, you've done what you need to do. Now go on and simply love them. Would you agree with me this morning that what I just said to you is a really long ways off from how the church handles conflict. If this is the rule that Christians are supposed to walk by, where are these Christians at? I tend to be a person that holds my tongue about as well as anybody you'll ever meet, but I found myself guilty this week. As I look back over my conversation over the past couple of years, where are the Christians who live like this? Are there any? I wonder if there is a congregation here in America wherein the whole congregation lives by this rule. I mean this sincerely when I say there is most likely not one. So what is the word for us here this morning at the Well Worship Center? Will you be determined with me to change the way you speak and speak evil of no one? From this hour, will you choose to walk by this rule? Will you purpose it in your heart? Not only will I speak no evil, but I will hear no evil. You know, when we choose to quit hearing, when we choose to quit participating in conversations, when we choose to cut them off and alter what we're being talked about because all of a sudden somebody's being defamed, when there's no one willing to hear it, you will find the speaking stops shortly thereafter. Refuse to hear the complaints. Even when someone tries to tell you that he's so burdened, he just has to tell you. Tell him what I said earlier. Well, if he's burdened and he wants to remove the burden of his soul, he needs to go talk to that person first. After you've done that, if it's of no success and you still feel it important to talk with me, I'll be willing to listen to you then. But not until then. Let us encourage one another to walk by this rule that the Lord has laid down. As our worship team gets in place, I want to ask a question. 
What would the church look like if we actually lived by this? What damages would have never been done if we had lived by this rule? What a, and this is, I want us to look, I want to close with this positive spin on what it could be. How blessed the Christian experience could be if we lived by this way. I want you to imagine for a moment that you were part of a church that truly lived by this law and you knew that you knew that you knew that you knew not a person in here would ever speak evil of you without first coming and talking to you first. Can you imagine the peace that the church would experience, the peace that we would feel, the protection that we would, the sense of unity and protection that we would have, that we are protecting one another. Oh, the peace that would come. The love that would abound in our souls for one another. How our brotherly love would grow, it would increase. How truly we would be able to say, if one member suffers, we all suffer. When one member is honored, we are all honored. And finally, can you imagine what an effect this would have on the onlooking world? Could you imagine? It's not how they live. It's not the way of the flesh, which is why we get so caught up in it, because we're yielding to the flesh and not to the spirit. It's not the way that is natural. Naturally, we are backbiters. Naturally, we devour one another. What would it look like to an onlooking world to see a church that refused to speak evil of anyone? 